0: And now we have a reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. And we have um, been in this passage before previously this year, but the focus today is on temptation. And in the Synoptic Gospels, you have the record of of Christ's temptation. Now, uh, Matthew and Luke uh, do it with a, a different manner where we have the, the three temptations talked about specifically uh, in Mark's gospel. It's a, there's a summary form. And so this is where we're going to be today. And this is the reason we're back to this passage. Mark chapter 1 at verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the desert and he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals And angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Thus far the reading from God's holy word. The gospel lesson today will be from the gospel of Mark chapter 1. Scripture for the sermon starting at verse 9. And we'll have prayer. Lord, we have sung about the waiting souls to bless. And we pray that we would today uh, look to you. And Lord, we know that uh, you will be blessing your people with your word. We pray that you would not pass us by, but that we would receive what we hear with a Childlike faith, Uh, we would have teachable hearts, Lord, for that which comes from you. We pray for the preaching to be faithful. We ask, Lord, today that you would recalibrate our thinking. Help us to know what Christ would have us believe and do, that we would be his faithful disciples. We pray in his name. Amen. Mark starts out his gospel in verse 1, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, as for modern readers today, that may not be very striking, especially if we have some awareness of, of what the church proclaims Jesus to be about But if you were looking at this letter for the first time, if you're reading this book in the original setting, and remember that Mark has been, we read from the early writers that Mark has been uh, set before us as the first gospel. It was written by John Mark, uh, told to him by Peter and written in Rome. And Rome, of course, ruled the world, where we have the Caesar and the Senate. And during that time, uh, well, actually, a little, ahead of that, a little ahead of that, during the time of Julius Caesar, uh, there came this thinking, along with being Caesar, that the Caesar was God. Uh, Julius Caesar made this claim that he was descended from the gods. And if you remember Julius Caesar from uh, reading Shakespeare in high school, uh, when uh, his uh, friends, and I think Brutus was his brother-in-law, stabbed him, assassinated him on the Ides of March, March 15. Uh, That's how he ended up. But he claimed to be God, and his son-in-law, Caesar Augustus, who ruled uh, during the time when Christ was born in the early years of his life, he also claimed to be the son of God. Uh, The Roman Senate would confer deity on the Caesars after they passed, and there was a cult of emperor worship going on during the er days of the early church. When Jesus wrote his letters, the book of Revelation chapters two and three, one of them goes to Pergamum, where Satan has his throne and there was emperor worship going on there. And so in this political setting where people believed that the state was God, the state determined right and wrong, and the Caesars were deity, we have the disciple Peter saying the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is really pretty gutsy. And he's going to tell us that Jesus is the most unique person who ever lived. He did not like the Caesars, who did all sorts of depraved crimes, his life was perfect. He was truly God. He was truly man, the Son son of God who came down from heaven. In his qualifications and his obedience to the Father, bring about the kingdom of God that we're looking forward to, that we have this... Eternity in our hearts, and we're longing for that better place. And the kingdom of God starts with the coming of the Lord to this world. Now, before his ministry began, our Lord was baptized. And we pick up the reading then of verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now think of the baptism of of John, John the baptizer, who had this baptism for the forgiveness of sins. It was a baptism of repentance. And of all these thousands of people that came and went into the water and he baptized them. And now here comes Jesus, the son of God. And we know from another gospel that when John the Baptist saw him he recoiled at the thought of baptizing the savior and he said, "What are we doing here? I need to be baptized by you." Why? How can I baptize How can I baptize you?" And Jesus said, "This is God's plan. This is the way it's going to be." And so he was baptized. And the reason this was done was because Jesus identified with us with this group of sinners. He goes into the waters of the Jordan to be baptized. But his baptism was different than all the sinners before him and that came after him because at his baptism, we read that he saw heaven being torn open in verse 10 and the spirit descending on him like a dove. In his case, the Spirit of God came upon him and came upon him in a visible form. And it anointed him, as we read in other accounts. Isaiah, uh, in his uh, prophecy in in Acts chapter 10, uh, we read that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Here at baptism, our Lord was encouraged also by the Father's words of affirmation regarding his identity. He wasn't like another sinner going into the water, but we have the Father's voice coming from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now, this isn't the first time in the Bible that we have these words. They're there in the Psalm of David in Psalm chapter two as a prophecy. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possession. And now Jesus has come and now God has said this and the prophecy is fulfilled. And so the opening statement, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is not something that is a logical deduction or something like Peter, that he came to faith and said in the middle of the gospel, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. We have God the Father first saying this, this is my Son whom I love. And so the gospel writer begins right there as to who Jesus is. Now Jesus would have to hold on to this affirmation that he's the son of God. Because the devil will come to him and he is going into the wilderness, or the desert if you prefer. Uh, When you think of how to translate uh, this word, how to think about it, uh, I, I tend to like the word wilderness better than desert. Uh, that, that's an older uh, translation. And uh, Jesus uh, w- was going into this experience uh, of being in a place of nothing. I-, I would liken it to being in the middle of the badlands of South Dakota. That, that would be my frame of reference. And the devil's going to come to him, and he's going to question him. And he comes after being in the wilderness for 40 days and fasting and eating nothing. And he's hungry. And the devil came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And later he comes to the second temptation. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down and get the approval of people and get them to come to you. In both cases, he is causing, trying to cause Jesus to doubt that he is, in fact, the Son of God. And Jesus would have to hold on to that, that he was the Son of God in those places, because we sometimes wonder, you know, does God really love us? These bad things happen to us? Are we really his children? Well, we also have to hold on to God's promises like that. Because through Christ we're told that we become his children. All who believed in him he gave the right to become children of God. In Romans 8, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You believe in Jesus, the Spirit of God, and worked in your heart. You're a son of God, man or woman. You're a son of God. You did not receive a spirit that makes you again to fear. You received a spirit of sonship, And by him you cry, Abba, Father. That's your prayer. Your prayer to God is the Father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And you know that. But the devil will try to take that away from you. How can you be one of God's children? Look at what you did. He is an accuser. He comes to make us doubt. And in so doing, we become more susceptible to temptation to fall into it. You are my son, whom I love. Now, Jesus was truly man, and he would need this in the wilderness. He would need to know that God loved him. And we, we have a similar word of encouragement in Romans chapter 8, that God loves us in Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And and Paul f- thinks about all the possible things, trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, death, life, angels, demons, present, the future. He says, <clears throat> no matter what, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. And so we have to hold on to that, that word of encouragement, that God loves us. God also said to his son with you, I am well pleased. He didn't say that to any other people going into the water because all of them were sinners. And God was pleased with Adam when he had no sinful nature, no sinful bent. After God created the world, he looked at all of it, looked at man and woman as part of it, said, very good. But then, of course, Adam and Eve did not obey the word of God, but listened to the devil. God, the devil said, yeah, that won't be like that. You don't have to listen to God. You won't die. You'll you'll be wise. You'll be like God. And they fell into sin. And we've had that problem ever since of having a sinful condition. And we're not going to be pleasing to God without the sacrifice of Christ, without the work of his spirit within us. And so in the book of Hebrews, we have a a benediction. Uh, But it's also showing to us how we can be pleasing to God. May the God of peace through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. May work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. And so that's how we become pleasing to God. We come through the cross, the sacrifice, the blood of Christ, We come uh, through the work of Jesus and the leading of the Spirit to do God's will. And so the baptism of Jesus was really quite different from anyone else's in history. But before the kingdom of God could come, our Lord had to stand a test. We go back to the Adam and Eve in the garden and we think of their situation uh, we think of how they had everything in a garden. But this was not the case with Jesus. Because after his baptism, the Spirit didn't send him to a garden. The Spirit sent him, or in some translations, drove him into the desert or the wilderness. The Spirit took him there. And it was not like the Garden of Eden. It was just the opposite. Instead of everything, there was Nothing. Instead of you can eat anything you want, there was nothing to eat. And our Lord had no human support. Adam and Eve had a perfect spouse that they could turn to and, and get advice. But no, our Lord's situation was, was entirely different. He was all by himself. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, according to Matthew's gospel. 40 days and 40 nights. I think I'd enjoy being in the Badlands of South Dakota for about three hours. And then i started start to get tired of it. And then if I didn't have anything to eat for 40 days and it would go on and on and on. This was not a camping trip. Uh, the main activity here was fasting and along with that, praying because that's what fasting is about. Fasting is not just simply to go on a diet. Fasting is there to remind you to pray and to remind you that you really need God. That's what fasting is about. And Jesus was there fasting in the wilderness for 40 days. And that experience, that place in the wilderness was a place of suffering. And that was his test. A test that was much greater than Adam and Eve, much more difficult. And his experience was with non-humans. Satan, wild animals, and angels are mentioned in the verse. And 13, he was in the desert 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. So when you think of Satan, you need to think of an accuser or an adversary. I, I remember back when I was a kid, there was a saying, and I don't remember where it came from anymore, but it was it was to get a joke, it was it was to you know make it funny to say the devil made me do it, and it almost sound like you know the devil he knew all the good stuff and the fun stuff to do. But in the Bible, the words for devil or here Satan, especially Satan, when you see the word Satan, you think an accuser or an adversary. Now, as you know, I've been in the church here uh, quite a number of years. And in those years, at times, I have had people that I'd regard as accusers. And they would come to me after something happened That I knew they weren't going to like, and they would accuse me of different things. And after a while, you you get you get you brace yourself and 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 you you defend yourself, right? And uh, so, if you have an adversary, that's somebody who's an opponent to you. And I think we've had these people in our life. I think most of us can can think of someone who's we we might regard as an accuser or as an adversary. And as you remember, if you've lived in this area, you knew I had hunting dogs for a number of years. And if the dogs got mad, the back of their hair would stand up. And those are hackles. And uh, when you think of the Satan coming to you and saying, no, you don't have to believe what God says here, this is, this needs to be changed in modern day, your hackles ought to come up because he is going to take you down a wrong path. Or, or to say to you, how can you be a believer when this has happened to you? Uh, think accuser. Uh, he's not the fun guy in your life. And the wild animals that are mentioned here, do we think of St. Francis of Assisi, you know, that one that was in harmony with the animals, uh, the birds would come and land on his shoulders, and the squirrel would come up his leg and sit in his arm. Is that what we're to think of, or are we to think of the experience of Daniel uh, when he went pray to anyone but God, and he was thrown into the den of lions? They weren't there as pets for the king, this is a terrible way to be executed. You had a problem, you throw them in the lion's den. Problem's gone. And Daniel was thrown into the den of lions. I think that was prophetic. Uh, we have here all sorts of wild animals at this time in the wilderness. Hyenas, lions, bears, leopards, wolves, scorpions, seven types of venomous snakes. That'd be enough for me right there. Imagine being in that situation for 40 days and 40 nights. And as we look at Psalm 91, that speaks of the Messiah in uh, verse 13, it talks about uh, this person who is going to uh, tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him, I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. That seems to be what was part of that experience of being in the wilderness. And it was so exhausting, it was like a, a runner that gives everything to get to the finish line and then there's no no more energy at all and, and the runner uh, collapses on the track. Because in Matthew chapter four, we read that after Jesus withstood the the last temptation, he said to Satan, away from me, for it is written, worship the Lord your God, serve him only. The devil left him, and angels came and attended him. And so it was at the conclusion of the test that the angels came, as also mentioned in the psalm, and attended him. So this was Mark's summary of the temptation of Jesus. And in so doing, he became one who could truly represent us before God. Uh, The one that uh, the writer to the Hebrews says, he was tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet was without sin. Jesus was in that experience, and sometimes we find ourselves in the wilderness, so to speak, and what we need to consider is not how easy it is because there's also a temptation to quit and to say, okay, I give up. Just think of our savior had quit after day 30 and said, I've been here a month now. I'm sick of this and leaves. But he was exactly where God wanted him to be. The spirit took him to that exact place and it was very, very difficult. And maybe today for you, It could be something very, very difficult. But the question is, are you where God wants you to be? And if you are where God wants you to be, rely upon his power and be faithful to him. The devil is going to try to trip us up. And Jesus would have us take temptation very seriously. We see this in the Lord's Prayer. In the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. And it's not a prayer that he prayed, but he tells us to pray it. And it's a a prayer that we can pray together, but it's also a model for prayer to remind us what we should have in our prayers at any time. And we need to ask God to keep us from a temptation, from a time of testing. I think of one of our young grandchildren, uh, who is very optimistic about life, and he's really fun to be around, and he's very athletic. And uh, one of his one of his statements that he makes at times is, "I got this." And there are times when he says it. Says it, He really doesn't. <laughs> he really doesn't have it at all. And and this is a time for us. We can't go into a temptation thinking, I've got this. Uh, Peter did that, remember? He said, I'll, I'll never deny you. I love you so much. I'll, and then three times that same night. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I just about digressed from the prayer this morning, because actually in the Greek, In the Greek, it is deliver us from the evil one. Where does that evil come from? It comes from the evil one. And it's okay to say deliver us from evil, and we pray that, but it comes from the evil one who wants to take you down. And so here is our Lord coming from this time of testing. So we have God the Father saying, this is my son whom I love, and I'm very pleased with him. And we have him passing the test, withstanding all the assault of of the devil. And so without question, as the gospel proceeds, Jesus is a person whose message we need to receive. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, the time has come he said, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. That is a cheery thought, that the kingdom of God has come. And we long for that, we pray for that, you know, that God's going to bring about a better place. And it starts with, uh, with his rule in the hearts of people. And so if we have the rule of God in our heart, the kingdom of God is already here in that sense. There's more to come. But with that kingdom of God, there's a king, God's very own son. And he's a promised king from David's line. And God said there would always be a king on on David's throne and one of his descendants, and that's Jesus. And he comes to rule in our hearts to reign in our hearts but we we have this word you know we have a king we we have someone who's gonna uh, rule over us well that's gonna require repentance and so we need to repent to receive this news the time has come he said the kingdom of God is near repent and believe the good news now what does that entail first off it means agreeing with God that when God tells you, this is my counsel for your life, when you, when you um, are confronted with the whole counsel of God, that you're willing to agree with God first off and turn from your ways and follow the Lord. We need to repent and have this rule of the king. And Jesus said, repent and believe. In other words, believe it with all your heart and don't doubt it. Don't doubt, whenever you start doubting, you're very prone to give in to temptation. So you're a child of God, if you believe in Jesus, and God is pleased with you. If you are trusting in the blood sacrifice of his son, if the Spirit's work is ongoing in your life, and you uh, have uh, the savior who is the compassionate high priest who through his sacrifice forgives you and prays for you and you turn to him and we're called to believe this that jesus is god's son declared at baptism by the heavenly voice of the father anointed by the spirit to serve god with power the second adam who represents us before god and because god looks upon us as his people we are acceptable before him our lord perfectly obeyed all of god's commandments we need to receive him with sorrow for sin but joy at the good news of his coming to rule in our hearts right now let's let's pray Father God, thank you for your word. Help us to realize how confrontational it is in the ancient world and how confrontational it is in our world today where people wanna shake their fist at your rule and regard the commandments of Christ as shackles. Uh, We pray that we would look upon his word with great desire and joy. And uh, we pray God that, that you would be our king uh, that jesus would be our savior we pray in his name amen